Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. Grant Baldwin is the founder of The Speaker Lab, a training company that helps public speakers learn how to find and book speaking gigs. Through his popular podcast, The Speaker Lab, and flagship coaching program, Booked and Paid to Speak, he has coached and worked with thousands of speakers. As a keynote speaker, Grant has delivered nearly 1,000 presentations to over 500,000 people and has keynoted events for audiences as large as 13,000. Grant has also been featured in national media, including Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, and Huffington Post. He now lives near Nashville, Tennessee, with his wife, Sheila, and their three daughters. So welcome, Grant, to the Presentation Boss podcast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you letting me hang out with you. It's going to be fun. Great. So, Grant, we've heard your official bio, but tell us what's between the lines there. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So, uh, like you mentioned at the end, the most important things are uh, married to my high school sweetheart, um, who's way out of my league, and then uh, with three <laughs> three beautiful girls. So, it's me and a house full of women, which is awesome. I uh, love that. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I've been in the speaking industry for uh, over a decade now. So, I got my start uh, speaking largely to students and and traveling around primarily the U.S. speaking at uh, various conferences and events. Um, I loved it. I was doing 50, 60, 70 gigs a year uh, and speaking to you know audiences of all sizes and just had a blast. It was great. And then started having a, a lot of people who were asking me, hey, I want to be a speaker. Uh, and some people who would want to speak full time and some people would say, I want to speak you know, a couple times a year here or there. But I have no idea uh, how to get started or where to go or what to do next. And I, a lot of people that we work with uh, kind of remind me of where I was at in the beginning, where I felt like I had the potential, but I needed the plan. I had the potential, mm-hmm. but I needed the plan. Meaning I felt like I was a decent speaker. I know I wasn't the world's greatest speaker. I still don't feel like that. But I knew I was, I was okay and good enough that like, I, I, think, I think I got something here. So, but I needed the plan. I needed to figure out like, how do you actually book gigs? And how much do you charge? And how do you find clients? And like, how does this whole world work? Uh, and so that's where I started, started uh, getting into the, uh, the, the, the teaching and training side of it. And that's the core of what we do now with, with the Speaker Lab uh, is we teach people how to find and book speaking gigs. Yeah, right. It feels like such a niche place to land, specifically helping people find, like I say, find and book paid speaking gigs. And I think even here in Brisbane, I don't know that I ever talk to anybody who is a speaker in any regard who doesn't listen to your podcast or know about your work. So it's clearly, it's clearly having, it was, it was a niche that needed to be filled even here in Australia. Cool. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are interested in speaking and there's all, there's definitely a lot of people who teach, um, uh, on like the art side of it and the presentation side yeah. and the craft side of it. Um, but I, what I found at least a few years ago, I think this has changed a little bit, but I, th- I think early on um, a few years ago that there, there wasn't as many people teaching like the, you know, the business side, how do you actually book gigs? Mm. And how do you, how do you know that? Cause you can be an amazing speaker, but if you don't know how to find gigs, like you don't exist. And so, yeah. uh, so you, you really, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. You have to be able to have both sides of it. You need to be great uh, off stage in terms of running the business and knowing how to find and book gigs, but you need to be great on stage as well. Cause that's also like your, your best marketing tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which actually kind of leads us to our next question. Um, because I guess when you're a professional speaker, speaking isn't just kind of a part of your job. It is your entire job, which means that you're not expected just to, you know, not die on stage. You're expected to actually deliver something of significant value to your audience. So how do you know that what you are delivering is of value? Yeah. So I think some of this is, is, um, uh, 
you kind of figure out over time because whenever you're creating a, a presentation, whenever you're creating a talk, uh, when you're looking at a screen and you're typing out words of like uh, for a story or for an intro or an outro or for uh, a joke or anything, you're making an educated guess on yeah. how it's going to work. I think yeah. this is funny. I think this is going to work. I think this is going to be interesting. I think this is going to resonate. But ultimately, I don't, I don't know 100% until you get up on stage. And whenever you speak, then you're getting that immediate feedback of what worked and what didn't work. And that's one of the unique things about speaking that you don't necessarily find in other industries. So like right now, we're recording this podcast. And there may be you know, thousands of people who listen to this, this moment right now and we never see their faces. We have no idea. Maybe they're paying attention. Maybe they're not paying attention. We don't know, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. versus like whenever you speak, like you immediately see like, ah, okay, they got mm. it or they didn't get it. Or I think they're lost right now. Or, well, they really responded well to that. And so you get that immediate feedback. And so one of the things that you want to be able to do as a, especially as a professional speaker is each time you speak, oftentimes you're giving the same presentation or some version of that, of that talk. And so you can make it better over time and you can better figure out like, where are the areas that people feel stuck or people feel confused or anytime, you know, at the end of a talk, if you do Q and A and you're, you're getting the same questions, then you can modify the talk to address those questions in the presentation. Uh, and so over time, the talk just gets better because you're getting that feedback over time. So at the beginning, you're like, I'm making my best guess on this is the value that I bring to the table, to the audience and for the event planner. But again, as you, as you get better over time, then hopefully the, the value continues to increase for the audience. So it really feels like, you know, obviously, to, in order to speak, you have to be a speaker of some regard. So, you know, is there avenue there to have a conversation with the event planners or whatnot? around, hey, this is what I, what my talk is planned to be. Is that of value? Should there be changes made to that? Or is that something that you wouldn't normally recommend? No, I don't think so. Like, I don't think you have to get into the weeds on here's what your talk is about. And here's, you know, every possible point, And here's exactly the flow of it. Like most event planners, they don't, one, they don't necessarily care. Yeah. Uh, so once they have hired you, uh, this is where like you, you know, you're giving them like usually just a, a paragraph description of here's what the talk is about. Maybe here's some bullet points. Here's some key takeaways and action items that I'm going to leave the audience with. Uh, and they can get that summary, that kind of synopsis within a minute or two. They don't need like, you know, all the ins and outs or, Hey, give me a script or anything like that. Most of them just don't care. Uh, they're hiring you because everything that they've seen and researched of you, they trust you. And I think that's also important to remember is even though they're not like going through every item that you're going to be speaking about and every, you know, every, uh, discussion point that you're going to be making, uh, they're putting you up on stage because they trust you. So it's important that you recognize like that. That's a really, really, really big deal, uh, because you are a reflection on them. And so if you get up and you do a phenomenal job, then it makes the event planner look good. Now, if you so get true. up and you, you do a poor job or you say something inappropriate or you embarrass them in any way, it also reflects on them, right? So other the colleagues or their boss are going to be saying like, why did you hire this speaker, right? So you have to be, you have to be really aware of that, that, that you are an extension and a reflection of the event planner and the decision maker that brought you in. Uh, so you want to make sure that even though they don't necessarily come through every single line item of what you're going to say on stage that they're giving you some sense of trust there that like I'm giving you the microphone don't don't screw this up I think that's the first time I've had a realization just now which is obviously you always want to be becoming a better speaker for your own for your own good but also becoming a better speaker actually benefits other people such as immediately the event planner not to mention your audience and on it would go 
Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. I mean, you think about it like, and this isn't true with just speaking. Uh, I mean, think about like, you know, if I were to come down to, to uh, Australia and I said, all right, we're coming to, to visit. Uh, I'm looking for a really good restaurant and you, you recommend a restaurant and uh, we go there and it's amazing. Then everything else that you recommend to me is like, yeah, what, whatever you guys say I'm in for. Right. Yeah. Versus like, if you send me to a restaurant, like, and it sucks, then I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get any more recommendations from those guys. You know? So, <laughs> yeah. so really you're putting your reputation on the line by making a recommendation yeah. and, this, and an event planner is doing the same thing by putting a speaker on stage. Like their reputation is on, on the line. So you want to make sure that you do everything you possibly can to make them look good. Mm. So in that vein, um, if you're, an entry level speaker, you've kind of got this speech together that you think is really great. You've got something of value to share, but you've never given it before. How do you then get some sort of speaking engagement? How do you get someone to trust you even though you've not proven yourself yet? Yeah. Well, you, every, like everyone starts from zero, right? Yeah. So it's not like anyone has like all of a sudden I just magically have all these, these gigs or anything like that. Um, and oftentimes we think that, uh, you know, that first gig is, um, you know, we, we have to tell everyone, Hey, this is my first time speaking and I'm really nervous and yada, yada, yada. Mm, and the reality yeah. is, is like, you've probably given presentations before that you're not thinking about, you know, you, you spoke at something at you know, at school or something at work or something in your community or something at church. And you, this may be like your first formal presentation, but you've given presentations or spoken before. Um, you just don't, you just didn't really think about it. So yeah. What I don't recommend is, is going to, you know, a potential client and saying, I've never spoken before. You're <laughs> going to be my first try. I hope this works. You know, you yeah. want to give me a shot because they're, they're not, you know, so yeah. it would be if, um, you know, if I, I'm thinking about like, um, all right, if someone came to my house today and said, Hey, um, you know, would you be interested in, in, in having me mow your yard or something? Um, I, I don't necessarily care whether or not it's their first time ever mowing a yard. I'm going to assume they've probably done it before. I just want to know if they do a good job. Right. Yeah. So it's possible for someone giving one of their first presentations to be much better than someone who gave, who's given a hundred presentations, who's just never really gotten that good. So I don't know. It's necessarily like you have to say like, um, Hey, if you hire me, this will be the third talk I've ever given my, in my life. That's not necessarily relevant. What's relevant to them is they just want to know that you're going to do a good job. Uh, and so that, so I would, I would, uh, I would just be aware of, of how you're, you know, how you're describing it and wording it to a, a potential event planner. Approaching someone. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. I guess on that same vein, you know, you're sitting at home, you've got, got this talk that you think is pretty good. How, how do you know maybe that you're ready to be a professional speaker in some way? Yeah. So, uh, I think professional speaker, like the phrasing of that, um, it, it's going, it may mean different things to different people. So for yeah. some people they think, Hey, in order to be a professional speaker, you have to do, you know, 30, 40, 50 gigs a year, hundred gigs a year, you know? Um, and so the reality is, is like you, you, you are speaking on a regular basis and you're taking your craft and what it is that you do seriously. This isn't something where like, yeah, I spoke once and therefore I'm a, you know, I'm a professional speaker. No, like you, you treat it as a professional, right? And you act as a professional, uh, both on and off the stage. Um, so I don't know that there's necessarily like, again, like a certain number of gigs that you have to be doing that qualifies or doesn't qualify you to be, you know, considered a professional speaker. So, I mean, even early on for me, um, you know, the first couple gigs I booked, uh, as soon as I create my website, my video, and I'm just getting started, I'm brand new. I'm like, I'm a professional, right? I'm yeah. taking this. It's not like, okay, I've done X number of gigs. 
therefore now I'm a professional. It's like, no, I'm like, I'm treating this as a professional uh, from the beginning. You know, I've, I've practiced, I've put in the work, I've put in the dedication. Um, I'm treating this as a professional versus, you know, feeling like I got to jump through certain hoops to, to therefore qualify to be a professional speaker. Just a decision, just a, a mindset around taking it seriously. Yeah, very much so. And again, there's like, there's nothing wrong with people who say, I, you know, I, I give a presentation here or there at work, or I speak at something in my community or something in my church. And that's kind of the extent of it. Like, that's fine. You know, if you're just yeah. like, I just, I just do this, it's kind of fun, but it's not necessarily like a key thing of what I want to do versus someone who says, no, this is like, I want to, I take this seriously, the craft, the business side of it. I take this seriously that I want to be, uh, I want to be viewed and treated as, and uh, considered as a professional speaker. So I have to act as such. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Hey. Hmm. So then if we look at the craft side of it, cause that's kind of more where we sit um, in terms of interest, mm-hmm. what do you believe separates an average speaker from an awesome speaker? Yeah. A lot of it, I think is what you don't see um, and the work that goes mm. in behind the scenes. Um, yep. And yep. so the, the, the best speakers on the planet, uh, it looks like they just get up and they just wing it and they're just making it up <laughs> on the fly and they're just shooting from the hip. And that's, yep. just, that's just not the case. Like they have spent hours and hours and hours practicing, rehearsing, preparing, going over their material, going over their talk. So by the time they get on stage, it looks like they're just, you know, they're just making it up. And the reality is, is like they've made it, they've worked so hard to make it look like that. Uh, so I think that's a really big part of it. You know, there's certainly, um, there's certainly speakers who are just naturally charismatic who may get up on stage and can be okay. Um, but those that are really, really great, um, really take the craft seriously. And they really think through um, the word choices that they use and how uh, stories flow together and how a talk is structured uh, and how they're interacting and engaging with an audience. Uh, a good example of this in kind of a similar field is there's a, a documentary called Comedian with Jerry Seinfeld. And oh, yeah. I th- it's, it's on Netflix. Have you guys seen it? I haven't seen it, but I've definitely no. um, come across it. And I think it might be on yeah, my list. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you got to check it out. It's really good. And so basically the premise is like after the TV show Seinfeld ended, um, Jerry Seinfeld is still like a, a traveling um, uh, stand-up comic. And so he's working on his material. And it just kind of shows like the behind the scenes process of him trying new jokes and trying things and like really thinking through like, okay, this, you know, this punchline is 10 words. How do I get it down to eight words and get it tighter? And, you know, should I use this word or that word? And it's like, all this stuff that we you, like you see someone like a Seinfeld or whatever comedian stand up on stage and they're, they're just amazing. And you're like, you just think that they're naturally funny and sure there yeah. may be some like natural charisma to it, but like they're also thinking through like every single word in that set or in that presentation is like carefully crafted. Uh, and so it just looks natural. It looks effortless, but there's so much work behind the scenes. And again, so one of the things I like is, um, for someone who, who, who's listening, who's like, I want to become a better speaker. Yes, there are absolutely speakers who like have a certain, a certain amount of, of natural charisma and natural charm or natural, naturally funny or any of those type of things. Uh, and they, they may have, you know, some of those things that you didn't necessarily feel like you were born with, but everyone can work behind the scenes. Everyone can practice. Everyone can rehearse. Everyone can prepare. So by the time you get on stage, you're more prepared. You're ready to deliver and, and, and be great. Um, so I would say that that's a really big thing that anyone can do, you know, regardless of your, of your ability or your history or your background or your skill set, uh, is that you can spend the time working and practicing on your talk. 
Yeah, I really love that. I think one thing that niggles me probably more than anything is that mindset of, I actually like speakers who just talk, like they just talk and they're just yeah. great naturally. They just make it up on the fly. And I think, oh, you have no idea how much behind the scenes work actually is into that yeah. naturalness. Yeah, because it looks like it's just it's just off the cuff. Um, or yeah. even when, um, you know, if something if something happens in a room, you know, like let's say uh, I can just say for myself, like if some, if I'm speaking and um, let's say someone sneezes or a cell phone goes off or something happens, you know, like I, I can a lot of times just kind of queue up some lines that I know work in that yeah. type of setting that seem like oh they're just off the cuff, but really like I've I've used that before, you yeah. know, or um, or you, you know, you like you deliver a, a punchline in a story or something and it gets a good reaction and I can kind of play off of that and act like I'm just, you know, this is just off the cuff and it's just kind of spontaneous. Um, but it's really, it's like planned spontaneity. You know, you've yeah. practiced it, you've rehearsed it, you've done it before, you know, what's going to work, you know how to deliver it. Uh, and again, a lot of that just comes with, with practice. It comes with time. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I have a loaded yeah. question. Who is someone that you think is the best speaker that you think that person is exactly like what I would love to speak like. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of great speakers out there for sure. Um, one of my favorite speakers is a really good friend of mine, um, uh, John Acuff. He lives here in, in Nashville. He does a lot of, of corporate speaking. Um, and he's a, he's a phenomenal speaker. He's very, very good. He's very polished. He's very eloquent. Um, he's very funny. He uses humor really, really well. But one of the things I really like about John is he also spends a lot of time on the craft. So a yeah. lot of time yeah. behind the scenes. Um, so it's not like, you know, he's just scribbling a couple of thoughts on a napkin and hope it all works out. <laughs> like he's really, he's very conscious about every word that he uses uh, from stage. So um, yeah, J John is a phenomenal speaker. But again, there's, uh, I think, I think like, um, great speakers, I think almost similar to great comedians. Like there's, there's some comedians that I love that I know like other people may not love yeah. or uh, other people are like, Oh, this, this comedian's the best. And I'm like, I don't think they're that funny. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> some of it is just a little bit subjective of like what makes a great speaker and someone yeah. that, you know, like I'm, I enjoy, um, I enjoy humor. I enjoy jokes. John uses a lot of that. So I, I resonate with that. Whereas some other speaker, may not have a single joke on the whole thing, but be really, really polished mm. and a really, really good speaker. And both work, both can be yeah. effective. So uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's one of the other things about speaking that's really nice is, is it's not necessarily a one size fits all, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to, you know, look up to look at some speaker that you really admire or respect and think, okay, well, in order to be successful, I have to do it like that. You know, it's like, mm. you don't, you know, you, there are certainly elements of that you can learn from, but don't feel like you have to do it exactly the way that, that they do it really like that we talk about preparation and what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, it fits perfectly, I imagine, with our philosophy, yes, but with any, the philosophy of anybody who I think is in the speaking game in any way. What do you think is more important, content or delivery? Hmm, content or delivery? Um, I mean, I think, honestly, like, honestly, I feel like I could make a case either way. Yeah. Uh, because you, you... <laughs> If you have, um, I mean, if you have amazing content, but you just suck on stage, um, like you're just, you're, you're, you're going to lose the audience, but you could have someone who's insanely good on, on the delivery side and they're reading the dictionary and you are hooked. You're just into it. Um, so I think you, you absolutely have to have both. And there, I think it, I think it's also valuable, um, for any speaker to recognize where, 
um, where they're, they're better or worse at on, on both sides. Cause you do have to have both. So, um, like for me, um, like, honestly, I feel like I, I do a good job on the delivery. I feel like from like a, a client that would hire me, I think I'm okay. I'm good enough on the content, but I think there's people who have much better content than yeah, me. Right. Um, mm. but, but I know, you know, other people who, who have much better content, but I don't think are as good as uh, on the delivery side, mm. you know, and both can work. So I think you, you definitely, uh, I don't know that's necessarily like, um, not necessarily like an either or as much as like you, you better be pretty good on both of them um, in order to, to make it work. Okay, cool. So the answer is both is what we're going with. Both. I know <laughs> it's a compound answer, but I, that's what I'll have to go with. I mean, it certainly, it certainly makes sense. You need to have both of those looking for delivery style that works for yourself and for your audience. Like what makes a great speaker there? Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it depends on what you're trying to achieve, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. And it also depends on like the, the type of audiences that you may be speaking to or the type of, of like the size of audience that you may be speaking to. So if you're doing, you know, let's say you're speaking to, um, you know, a small group of, of 10 people, then you're probably going to be a lot more quiet. You're going to be, you know, a lot um, more soft spoken. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're speaking to an arena of, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 people, you probably you, like, you have to be bigger. You have to be larger yeah. um, because the room, the room and the size like um, requires that. So some of it just yeah. also depends on, you know, the, the context of where you're speaking and, and who you're typically speaking to. Mm. Being flexible. Hi. Huh? Yeah. You did talk about, you know, you shouldn't try and match anyone or necessarily think that because you don't speak like someone else, you can't be successful. But I want to talk about TED Talks for a minute because everyone wants to do a TED Talk. They're kind of, <laughs> they're so popular and so available now. So I want to ask, do you think that TED is setting the trend and almost homogenizing speaking a little bit and the expectations that speakers have? So uh, there's, there's pros and cons with, uh, with Ted. And also I think it's important, really important to distinguish the difference between Ted and TEDx. So yeah, yeah, Ted yeah. is the, the big fancy stage. Um, the most likely none of us are going to ever be on, but <laughs> TEDx is the ones that, um, not necessarily anybody can be on, but they are, they're much more, many more opportunities available for speakers to be on TEDx stages. There are, uh, I don't know what the count is, probably thousands of TEDx events around the world that people can speak on. Mm. One of the things I don't like about TEDx is that um, that I think a lot. I think it's it has given. I don't think it's necessarily TEDx's fault. I think this is something that has just happened in the marketplace. Mm. That uh, there's a lot of people who are newer to speaking who think if I can just if I can just give a good TEDx talk, then I'm set. Uh, then it's yeah. going to open up all these doors for me and all of a sudden everyone's going to want to hire me or I'm going to get a book deal or I'm going to have a big following or whatever. And it just doesn't work like that. Like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of TEDx talks uh, really ever blow up and, and become something significant, you know? So I think it's easy to look at, uh, you take like Simon Sinek, you know, the talk that he's known for is a TEDx talk in a small little room, you know? Mm. Um, and it, it, really blew up and did well. And there's a lot of factors that go into that. And so it's, it's, there are, again, I don't know the numbers, but I would assume tens of thousands of TEDx talks that have been given and that are online. And it's just a, a very small percentage of them that actually um, really get significant traction um, yeah. with people. So, so that'd be kind of a, a caution, um, you know, a cautionary tale with that. The thing I, I do like though about TEDx is I think um, that the time limitations of it, 
um, because some speakers can go, you know, can go on and on and on and on. And you yeah. get to the end and you're just like, I don't like, what was the point of that? I don't know what that was <laughs> yeah. about. You know, yeah. like they talked about everything and nothing and it was confusing. <laughs> and so like when you're, when you're given like a time limit, you know, of, of 10 or 15 or 20 minutes or whatever it is, like you, you're forced to work within these constrictions. And so you're, you're forced to eliminate stuff that may not be necessary, that may not be uh, as important as, um, as like getting to like the core of here's the main idea and I have to be tight and I have to be concise and I have to get to the point. Um, so I like it from that standpoint. Um, and I think there's also like, there are, because there are, are so many different, you know, Ted and TEDx talks, you get to see a lot of different types of presentations. Mm. There's a lot of things you can do in 15 minutes. Um, and some speakers love those, um, constraints and some speakers don't um but it it forces you to um really think through like how do i like how do i do more than just be a talking head um, when there are thousands and thousands of others and how do i do something different that kind of stands out from in this this type of context so um i think it can for the for the right speakers i think it can you know um create some cool opportunities for them to really be creative and do something different um uh but again i i, I think as a general rule for any speaker, I think having like a, a time limitation that forces people to get to the point and make the point is, is, is a win for the audience and for the speaker. I remember some time ago on your podcast, you interviewed somebody who, uh, who had his break by doing a Ted talk. But what I took away from that episode where you, you had that discussion with him was the amount of hustle that had happened behind the scenes. That was just a starting point. It was just one mm -hmm. tiny piece of the puzzle for, for that talk to become scene and to start creating context for him. I really distinctly remember that interview. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to think of who that was. It doesn't, um, they all run, they're all running together in my head at the <laughs> moment, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean like TEDx talks can certainly be valuable. And so I think it's just kind of like, um, it is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole yeah. puzzle, you mm -hmm. know? So doing a TEDx talk can absolutely move the needle for speakers or for, you know, entrepreneurs or for professionals in, in some way, but it's more than just like, all right, I did, you know, I did my talk and now I just, I'm done. I'm out. Um, <laughs> like there's a lot more that you got to do there to, to keep the ball moving forward. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The business of speaking, huh? Um, so obviously, Grant, I, I've, I've listened a lot to your podcast and, and I do love it and I do love you. However. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but I'm excited. You've mentioned quite a few times that you're not a fan of PowerPoint, that you don't use PowerPoint. And as a visual communication and PowerPoint designer specialist, that mm -hmm. does hurt me a little bit. So can you maybe just articulate why you're not the world's biggest fan of PowerPoint. Yeah, I, I totally can. Um, <laughs> so I think, um, well, I would say this. I, I think PowerPoint and slides can be incredibly, incredibly effective if they're done well and if they're done right. What I don't like and where I think a lot of speakers make a mistake is they use PowerPoint or slides as um, well, I'll put it, this is what we, we've, you may have heard us say this on the podcast that slides and the PowerPoint should be an enhancement and not a replacement for your talk. They should oh, be yeah. an enhancement and not a replacement for your talk. Meaning, um, uh, like a good litmus test is if five minutes before you're supposed to go on stage, like all of a sudden your slides don't work. The computer breaks down, the projector's not working. There's something, something's a, a muck with the technology. <laughs> yeah. 
your talk should still be good. It should still stand on its own. You know, so you can't be like, like I remember a couple years ago, my wife was at a conference and she texted me. She said, Hey, this session, I'm in this workshop. It was supposed to start a few minutes ago. And the lady, the lady was having problems with her slides. And she said, I can't give my presentation unless my slides work. Well, then your presentation's not ready. Then you shouldn't be up there. And so that's, that's my, that's how, that's where my strong feelings about slides come from is like, uh, slides can absolutely bring something to the table that words cannot, you know? So for example, I'll give you a quick example. There's a, uh, a speaker friend of mine and she, um, years ago when her daughter was born, her daughter was born very prematurely and had all types of major complications. And so she's talking about, you know, like if you can imagine, like even right now, like we, people listening like this, um, that you can't see anything here. I don't have anything to actually show, but like, <laughs> if you can imagine like, you know, one of those pictures of like a, a baby just in the palm, um, of, of the mom's hand with all these like tubes and wires yeah. and, and, you know, just, just hanging on. Um, and so it's one thing for her to talk about that, but then she shows the picture of it and you're like, Oh dang, like that's real, you know? And then like shows a picture of like, hey, wait here, but fast forward to today and here's her daughter as a healthy, you know, healthy woman. Um, and it just, it makes it real that words can't describe even again us right now, we're all kind of like, we're picturing in our mind what that would look yeah. like, but if you can see it, like it just changes everything, you know? Um, so slides and like visual images can absolutely be incredibly, incredibly powerful. I just don't like that. A lot of speakers use mm -hmm. them. They use them as a crutch or they use them yeah. as like cue cards. You know, I can't, I can't give my slide. I can't give my talk. Um, unless I have my, you know, my slides in front of me cause I use my slides as my notes. It's like, then your talk isn't ready, you know? Um, so it, it, again, it should just be an enhancement, not a replacement for, for the talk. So, um, I, the, I would say the other thing is I, I personally don't use slides, um, because there's so many things that can go wrong. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. so like, you know, the, 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 the font doesn't, doesn't match up or things don't look right. Um, on the, like the orientation of the screen or, uh, like there's just, there's a thousand things that can go the clicker doesn't work and then it jacks up things. Um, so I historically just haven't used slides because there's a bunch of like, there's a bunch of things that can go wrong. But again, so, like I, I'm not like, I'm not at all anti slides. I just think if, if you're going to use them, that you need to use them in the correct way, uh, and not as a replacement for your talk. Otherwise, like what's the point of you being up there as a speaker, like just show a video instead of you like having a microphone. Yeah, totally good. The good news is you've redeemed. Does that yourself. make you feel better? <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. honestly, I, I, I'm having a slight existential crisis here now because <laughs> you're saying exactly the same things basically I say, which is it's an enhancement. It needs to add. It is not yep. the presentation. Your, your yes. slides are not the presentation. So now I'm like, yeah. is that something I came up with and, and Grant's podcast has affirmed that, or did I get that from you? Like, <laughs> so well, I mean, we're I mean the reality is, is like, yeah, no. The 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 more people that the, if we both beat that drum and we help uh, yeah. other speakers, great. Because um, it also the reality is is like the better speakers are, like the more it helps audiences anywhere. Like I think mm -hmm. this is one thing that that some speakers um, worry about is. When I get up on stage um, and saying I, like talking about speakers and just in general, that when speakers get up on stage, sometimes we're worried that like it's this us versus them mentality that like the audience is out to get you type of thing. Listen, the audience wants you to be good. Yes. Every audience that I've ever sat in, I want nothing more than the speaker to be good. I don't want them to suck. I don't want them to fail because I got to sit there and listen to it. <laughs> I want them to be really, really, really good. And so the better their presentation is, the better the slides are, the more enjoyable it is for myself, for you guys, for any audience that any of us are ever sitting in. Oh, well, I mean, I think we've even said that on this podcast, we always say it is the audience wants you to win. 
You've never yeah. sat in an audience watching a speaker and thinking, yeah, I really hope this guy stuffs up and can't recover. Like nobody yeah, yeah. thinks that, right? Nobody thinks that. Like we, yeah. we want you to be good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so on that then, if we have a think about audience interaction, talk us through the pros and cons of actually attempting to interact with your audience because sometimes that can go pretty pear-shaped and then sometimes it can be great. So where do you sit on whether you try that or not? Yeah, um, it, it can be really effective because it does give you a chance. And, and well, let me back up here. So audience interaction can look a lot of different ways, you know, so it could be something as simple as, um, you know, how many of you have a mom? Let me see your hands, you know, like, all right, everyone should raise their hand for something like that. Right. Or it could be, you know, that you get them to clap. It could be that you get them to turn to their neighbor. It could be that you, you, um, you ask someone a question and ask for feedback. It could be that you have them talk in small groups. It could be, you bring someone up on stage and interact with them. There's a lot of different types of interaction and there are going to be some that are going to carry more risk than others, right? So um, one of the things to think about is that as the speaker, as the one up front, as the one with the microphone, you are the one with the power in the room, right? So the way we like to think about it is you are the thermostat for that room. Like the rest <laughs> of the room adjusts to you. And so the audience takes their cues from you. So anytime you, you, you bring someone up on stage or you give someone the microphone for some Q and a or something like that, you are, you're giving away some of that power and yeah. that audience person has the ability to, um, like uh, do, do a good job and go with you or just completely derail things. Right. Yeah. Um, and so some of this comes down to you kind of figuring out what type of interact, like interactions just in general work really well because it keeps an audience engaged. Right. Um, and so the, the, especially like the longer the presentation is, uh, if you're given like a, you know, a, a three hour seminar or workshop or something like that's just, that's hard for a speaker to do, do, you know, three straight hours of just talking head. It's also just, it's difficult for like just the human to just sit and listen to that. Even if they're really, really, really good. Like you just, you kind of get some, you know, you kind of get, uh, um, like your butt gets sore and you kind of got to wiggle <laughs> around and you're just like, I gotta, I gotta kind of move. I gotta yeah. stretch. Or I gotta do, I gotta do something, you know? Um, so interactions help breathe some life into it and kind of, um, mix it up. It's kind of like if you're watching a TV show and every few minutes, like they're injecting commercials in there just to kind of like break it up a little bit there. Um, cause if you, you know, if you sat and tried to watch a three hour movie, even if it's really good, like you're probably going to get tired, you know, so yep. you, they have to do something in there to, to kind of mix it up to keep you engaged and keep, keep your, keep your attention. So, um, so one, one thing I would say would be like when you're, when you're doing, um, audience interactions is that they, again, they can be effective you you got to kind of do some trial and error to figure out what works and what doesn't work and you also have to be become really good at just reading audiences and reading the room because you may do uh, one interaction with one audience that goes incredibly well and you may do the exact same presentation with it uh, or the exact same interaction with a different audience and it's a complete disaster and it completely bombs and so you have to kind of read the room and figure out like okay what I'm planning on doing does will this do I think this will work based on my experience based on my knowledge based on what I've seen before do I think this will work for this type of thing um, the other thing would be like if you're doing something where you let's say you call someone up on stage or you um, you know, you're, you're, you're doing some Q and A and you're pointing to someone to, you know, who has their hand raised to ask a question. I have to read that person and, and kind of make a quick judgment call of like, okay, if I call on this person, what's going to happen next? You know, because like, um, if you, um, I was teaching on this uh, recently and, and I said like, just be like, 
if you're doing like a, an audience Q and a, for example, right? Just because someone has their hand raised doesn't mean you have to call on them. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you can kind of read yeah. that. Like if someone's like really aggressively, um, raising their hand, they just look pissed off and you're just like, man, if I call on them, this is not going to go well. You know, yeah. it's maybe like, they're not <laughs> mad at you, but they just need, they need to like, um, make a, a point and they're angry about something and they're going to take it out on the audience. Like, you don't have to call on them, right? Like sometimes I'll look at them just to acknowledge, like, I see your hand, but I'm not calling. <laughs> and so yep. you can, you can, you can be upset or whatever. Um, because again, you have to remember that you are like, you are sharing that power with that, the, the room or whoever mm. that person is. And so that, that can go well. So I think some of it is just, um, like, I think for anyone, it's just kind of a practice over time. Of I'm going to try some low risk things like asking people to raise their hand. Like that's a really low risk thing. That's an, an interactive thing that you can do, but it, it, it's not necessarily like, there's not a lot that could go wrong with that. Um, you also also be aware of like, if you do something where you ask the audience, like, um, you know, interact with like in a small group or turn to their neighbor and say something, when I turn to my neighbor and I say something, it also probably starts other conversations, you know? So you start to have a lot of chatter in the room. So you got to have a way to get the audience back with you. Yep. So those type of things you just have to be aware of. Like if you do them, you have to have a way to, to like come out of it and kind of regroup and get back on track. Yeah. Right. Again, planning, isn't it? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It's yeah. just, um, if, if you just get up there and, and again, kind of just wing it, then it's, it's probably not going to, it's probably not going to go well. Um, versus if you say, okay, I'm going to, um, like, so, okay. I know for me, um, one of the things that I do is, um, I do this thing where if, if I'm asking the audience to interact with each other, I will say, if you can hear me clap once, everyone claps. If you can hear me clap twice, everyone claps twice. Right. Uh, and so I will do that as a quick little thing of, um, before we start some type of interaction where I know I'm going to need to get their attention back. Um, I do that as a quick thing. All right, we're going to do a quick, uh, exercise here before we do that. If you can hear me clap once, you can hear me clap twice. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to do this for 30 seconds. Right. But now I've already taught them <laughs> when I, uh, you know, uh, if you hear me clap once, if you can hear me clap twice, now they already know what that is. And so it, each time I do that, it becomes, yep, I know what to do. I know what to, I know when to clap and I know how to respond. And I know like by doing that, people clap twice and then it's silent. Like they're just, their attention is back. So then I can carry on. So you just have to think through like, okay, mm. if I turn, if I have everyone like, you know, turn to your neighbor and discuss this for the next 30 seconds, everyone, the whole room's going to be talking. So how do I get them back versus just saying like, okay, guys, stop talking. Okay. Okay. It's my turn now. Okay. okay guys, guys, please listen. Like that's not going to work. So I got to have yeah. a way to like, if I'm going to send them in to talk to each other, I got to get up, get them out to, so I can, yeah. I can get back on track and move forward. So those are things you just, again, like you, you got to plan for and think those things through. Yeah. That's a great tip. I like that one. I love it. Yeah. So, so considering everything we've sort of talked about today and you know, your experience here, Grant, What's the one piece of advice you would offer to somebody looking to get started speaking professionally? Just the one thing. Yeah, I think, um, so inside the, the new book, uh, The Successful Speaker, we walk through a, a five-step framework um, that makes the acronym speak, S-P-E-A-K. Uh, and the first part, I think, is going to be the most significant, the S, is selecting a problem to solve. Uh, and this is where you have to get really clear on two things. One, who you speak to, and what's the problem that you solve for that audience. This is where I think a lot of speakers have a hard time, is um, we enjoy speaking. Speaking is fun. We want to do more of it. So we would just speak to anybody about anything if we could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so when people ask us, like, all right, 
right, you're a professional speaker. Who do you speak to? And you're like, I, I speak to humans. You know, I speak mm. to anybody and everybody. And okay, what do you speak about? Like, what do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. It's like, that doesn't work, you know? And in the same way that like, um, uh, like in any other area of life, like the more specialized, the more specific, the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is to actually get results. And so, um, for, so for speakers, I think one of the biggest things you can do is just get really, really clear on this is who I speak to and this is the problem that I solve for them versus just saying like, I'm a speaker who speaks on anything and everything <laughs> and I'm a, I, speak about, uh, I speak to you know, anybody about nothing. Uh, like that doesn't work. So the more clear, the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is to actually find gigs. Yeah, yeah. All right, so the next question that we ask all of our guests is, is there a book or a resource or something that's had an impact on the way that you speak? Um, yeah, let me think. All right, let me scan the bookshelves. <laughs> um, see if there's one that really jumps out. Um, there, scanning over there. Uh, well, I think, I think a couple of things. One is, um, there's a book called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. That's really good. It's not necessarily like from a, um, a, like just a purely a speaker's uh, book, but it's basically about how, uh, like how ideas are memorable. And mm -hmm. so I'll give you an example. So uh, this is super recent. So last night, um, my daughter goes to our church's youth group. And so I go pick her up from church and uh, it's a big youth group, several hundred students and, you know, middle school, high school students. And so uh, pick her up. I mean, she just heard the youth pastor talk a few minutes ago. He gave, you know, his 20, 30 minute talk or whatever. And I ask her, all right, what, and this happens every week I figure out, <laughs> what did he talk about? She's like, I don't really remember. Oh, but he told us this story and she huh. recites this story. Uh, yeah. And so, we, so basically the point being that why is it she can't remember the, the main, and again, this isn't true for just her. This is for a lot of people. Like yeah. you come out of a, you hear a talk or a Ted talk and you're like, I don't really remember what it was about or here's, I think what it was about, but I can tell you like a two or three minute story that was told. And so it talks some about stories about like, why, why is that sticky? Why is that memorable? You know, why is it that we can, she could recall the story immediately, but can't remember anything else within the talk. So uh, made to stick um, is a, is a good one. And then uh, I, I got, I got to plug our, our own book, um, yeah. uh, the successful speaker. Um, so that one uh, is, it's again, that step-by-step -step guide for people on how to find a book paid speaking gig. So um, I'm biased, but I think it, I think it's pretty good. That's fair enough. It's interesting. The made to stick was also recommended when we had Matthew Dix on the podcast. I don't know if you've ever, ever come across Matthew hmm. Dix. I don't think so. So he's up in Connecticut. Uh, he is cool. a absolutely fantastic storyteller. So he's really heavily involved with the moth and runs his own storytelling. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, business. So maybe have a look at him. I don't know, but it's just yeah. interesting that both have, have that same um, that same book recommendation. Yeah, very um, cool. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your book and then most importantly, where people can find you? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, the book is called the successful speaker, uh, five steps for booking gigs, getting paid and building your platform. So it's just going to walk through a step-by-step -step process of how to find and book gigs. And so again, for some people, you know, you, they may want to speak, you know, 50, 75, hundred times a year. And other people are like, nah, I don't want to do that, but I'd love to speak, you know, two, three, four times a year. But again, I just, I don't know how do you find those gigs or what do you speak about or who hires speakers or how much do you charge? And like just the ins and outs of that world. So uh, so the book is basically that that guide that we hope it's a you know a handbook that's something you can refer to uh, over time uh, as you as you 
build and grow your speaking business as you book gigs and you're trying to, as you work on your talk, there's, you know, chapters and sections on that, uh, on creating the talk. There's stuff about slides in there as well. Uh, so yeah, there's all types of, of info in there about all things speaking. Um, but again, the, the book is called The Successful Speaker. Um, yeah, so you can pick it up at uh, Amazon or Barnes Noble or wherever, wherever books are sold. Uh, depending on people listen to it, we do have some pre-order bonuses that are available uh, by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash book, thespeakerlab.com slash book. Um, and everything we do is over at The Speaker Lab. So uh, like you mentioned, we host a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab. Uh, so people who listen to this podcast probably listen to other podcasts. So if you're looking for one uh, and you're interested in all things speaking, uh, the speaker lab's a, a cool one and yeah, a lot of, a lot of free resources over at the speaker lab and, uh, anything we can do to help and support speakers we're, we're game for. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Cool. And we'll definitely put all of those links in our show notes, um, for people to find them as well, all of the recommendations and definitely your book and all of that stuff. Cool. Cool. So I think that just about wraps us up. Thank you so much for joining us. You've given us so much, um, wisdom and information and things to think about. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, and having a chat to us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a recommendation for someone you'd love to hear from in this show, or think you have something of value you'd like to share, send us an email at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts and take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week. <laughs> Had to check the question list. You're good, you're good. Yeah.